All right, just a couple of announcements for you. On page 19 in your worship guide, you'll see the whole gamut of, of things, uh, but just two that I want to highlight. First, and I um, want to be very clear on this one, there's a concert that we are hosting for uh, a really amazing artist named Sandra McCracken. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, um, but she's phenomenal, and she's coming to, to perform here. And so for members, we have the opportunity of Covenant Presbyterian Church to get tickets um, first, we get first go at these things. So that's available to you now on the website, cubpres.com. It opens to the public on Tuesday, and there is a cap. So if you haven't gotten your ticket yet, mark down March 20th and go ahead and get your ticket. It'll be a wonderful, wonderful time of worship and celebration. Um, and then secondly, you can already feel the reverberations under the floor that Missions Festival is coming You've been hearing about it. We've been getting ready. And here at the end of February, we're in February. And at the end of this month, Missions Festival will be upon us. There are so many ways to participate. Um, there are sign-up geniuses everywhere. So go on the website, walk around the building, and you'll probably get volunteered for something. So watch out. You're going to get to participate in really awesome ways with our mission partners, both here in the, the U.S., greater Birmingham area, and also overseas. So please start to pray. Start to put those dates on your calendar. Get into the, the habit of being a missional people as we get ready for this awesome festival. Um, let's see. Mr. Ladd is going to come and pray for us. Thank you, Josh. If you would, bow your heads and prayer with me. Father God, we just thank you and praise you so much for gathering your people together this morning that we might worship you, Lord. You have heard our prayers of adoration this morning. You have heard our prayers of confession of sin this morning, and we come to you once again with prayers of supplication, expressing our deep neediness, Lord, in so many diverse ways. Specifically this morning, Lord, we do pray for Lynn Jenkins as she cares for her brother, John Weatherby, and we pray for John, Lord, that you would continue to heal him that he goes for his uh, checkup this week, that he would just have a good report. Lord, we pray for those within our congregation and our communities that are dealing with COVID, for those in our congregation and communities that are treating COVID, Lord. We pray for deliverance from this pandemic, Lord. Lord, we are so privileged to be able to pray for Alton and Sandra Hardy this morning in the Urban Hope Community Church. Lord, I pray for... Alton and Sandra's marriage, for their family, that you would just place a hedge of protection around them, that you would provide for their every need. But even more so, Lord, I pray that you would just use their ministry there, that you would bless it, that it would indeed be a blazing beacon of hope and faith for those who are seeking you, Lord, there in the Fairfield community. Lord, we pray for upcoming missions conference, Lord. We pray for the safety of those missionaries that are traveling here to share with us. We pray that as a congregation, that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word for the many good works that you have prepared for us, Lord. We do this morning lift up Lil Balo, who has been hospitalized with pneumonia this past week. We thank you for her care and for her daily improvement. And Lord, we pray that you would bless her and her family with strength today. Lord, for those who are mourning, we lift up specifically Wendy Irwin, 
as she mourns the death of her father, Dr. Bob Ryan. And as Robbie brings our message this morning, Lord, we are reminded of your word. As in our Sunday school communities, we have been studying your justice and your righteousness. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, we would learn what it means to seek after you in justice and righteousness, that we would hold those things in good measure and that it would be pleasing unto you, Lord. For it is in your mighty name we pray. Amen. It was 1984. Clint Wilkie was a good athlete in South Florida, very good golfer, good football player. He would eventually go and be a wide receiver for Ole Miss. But his life wasn't filled with joy because his family had fallen apart. He was a teenage boy. He longed to be with his dad, and to be with his dad, he had to go to the frog the neighborhood bar, sit with his dad, drinking with his buddies, not with his family. His parents were divorced and he lived with his mom at that time and they lived with his stepdad and there was severe abuse happening in the home. He had a lot of gifts, but he was deeply sad. So he was using drugs by age 14, smoking a lot of pot and also selling marijuana by age 14. His life was spiraling in a really bad direction. But the Lord Jesus, who loves sinners, sent a man named Doug from Yazoo City, Mississippi to move to South Florida. He just happened to be a golf coach and a football coach and happened to know Jesus. He built a relationship with Clint by playing golf with him and being kind to him. He didn't invite him to church. He just built a relationship. He eventually started talking to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, because he didn't know any better, he began to give him some uh, Christian literature. It happened to be uh, from the Banner of Truth, which is like, you know, great Puritan theology, which is not typically what you think is going to be effective with 14-year-old teenagers in South Florida who are using and selling drugs. But it was effective. And Clint began to read it. And he was reading descriptions of a holy, holy, holy God and his just and righteous wrath against sinners. And the only provision that God had made for sinners through his own son in this literature, probably picturing 50-year-olds in mind. But this 14-year-old South Floridian good athlete, drug user and seller was reading this material. And one night he called Doug who had told him about Jesus and given, given the literature. And he called Doug and he said, Doug, I've been reading this and listening to you. And I, I want, you know, I just feel a weight. I feel God's judgment is real. I do believe in God. I do believe God is holy. And I know I'm in big trouble. What do I do? And Doug said, get on your knees and pray for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And remember, he was a drug user in 14. He said, can I do that after the weekend? Really, he did. (laughs) Can I have a fun weekend first? Doug said, no, you go get on your knees right now and you cry out to God. And so as Clint tells it, he went into a small, awkward bathroom in his stepdad's home and he got down on his knees and he pressed his head against a laundry hamper and cried out, to Jesus Christ for salvation and the load, the guilt, the shame rolled off of him. And he walked out of that bathroom and he said to his stepdad and his mom and his sisters, we're in big trouble. We're a complete mess. We need to believe in Jesus and go to church. And he began to lead his family spiritually. 
He would eventually go to Ole Miss, play football, get involved with RUF, get the gospel clarified more and more and more. And eventually he was one of my closest friends in seminary. Now he went on and worked for RUF, planted a church, and now it's his job to help our denomination plant churches to reach people like him who didn't grow up hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you that story because before I read the whole passage, I want to read you the first verse of Acts. This is the second volume of a two-volume work. Luke wrote the third gospel, and that's volume one, and Acts is volume two. And here's how he begins the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, he's talking there about what we call the gospel of Luke, also written to a man named Theophilus, same guy. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, the gospel of Luke is about what Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is going to be about what Jesus continued to do and to teach through pouring his spirit out first on the apostles and then those who would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through the apostles. The book of Acts is about the continuing work of the crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus Christ as he sends his spirit out on the apostles and the church. Jesus Christ is still doing great and profound things, drawing people to himself, converting us, our neighbors, and the nations. Do you believe this? Let's read about it together in Acts chapter 1 and following. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And they devoted, now I'm going down to the end of chapter two, after the day of Pentecost, here's the end of Acts two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Help us now, having read your word, to hear what you say to your churches. Oh, Father, we ask you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would magnify the Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our midst today, that we might magnify him in the whole of our lives for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, quite simply, I've got three points for you today. I give you three points often. It's really for your sake. I would love to talk about Acts chapter one and two for like the next five hours. Um, And if I'm not careful, I'll slip into that. So here you go. To keep it simple, for my sake, for your sake, here's what we're going to see today, the king's agenda. We're going to see that in verse eight. It's super clear. Secondly, we're going to see the king's provision. And then finally, the king's people, their patterns and practices. First of all, the king's agenda. Right before I turn to it, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want to just say a word about our missional vision statement that we're just kind of barely introducing to you as we roll it out over these next several weeks. Here's what we're saying. In response to God's grace and God's saving power and God's plan for us and the nations, in response to God's grace, we gather, we grow, and we go in Christ Jesus into all things. Now, one reason that your vision team, along with me and Marty and Dave, the reason we uh, are giving you just the, the tip of that spear, the beginning of that uh, missional vision statement, um, is we're really striving to be simple and clear. Now, um, you've heard of UFOs and you probably don't believe in those. We were trying to avoid the EFO of vision statements. And here's what we are saying. We want you to know about our vision statement. It's not E, it's not exciting. It's not F, it's not flashy or fancy. And it's not, oh, it's not original to us. It was never our goal to give you something exciting or fancy or flashy or original. Our goal as your vision team representing you was simply to be faithful, to say we're under commission already and we need to say to ourselves and to our whole church, what's it mean for us to simply faithfully live under the commission we have from King Jesus? And part of that we want to keep saying is God has called us, God is by his grace gathering us as his people. God is intending to grow us He invests in us heavily to cause us to grow. And one result of that is that we go into all things in Christ Jesus, bearing glory to his name. Well, I want you to see there's a connection to that. And the king's agenda in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is a big piece of the go. So here's what's happening in the book of Acts. Look with me at verse 8. Jesus told the apostles... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's actually our second point. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There it is. There is the king's simple and clear agenda. See its scope. They're going to go from where they were. They were in Jerusalem waiting for the power of the Spirit in Jerusalem. And then all Judea. Well, Jerusalem was in Judea, so Judea is just the southern part of where God's people, where their land was. Jerusalem's the capital city in the south, and all Judea is the southern region around Jerusalem. And Samaria, okay, just go north, not that far. So everything, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. 
It would be like if Birmingham or Jerusalem or, or Homewood were Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus would have said, wait in Homewood and you're going to be my witnesses in Homewood and then south all through over the mountain culture and then north, Birmingham, and then from there to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's about how big the geography was until it went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But do you see the simple, clear agenda of the king? Wait for power, start where you are, and you'll be my witnesses. Here, near, a little less near, and then everywhere. That's the king's simple agenda. The scope is universal. The scope is global. The method is to start from where they first have the power and begin talking about Jesus and to move out in concentric circles from near to less near to very far. And then finally, the content of their their mission is they're to bear witness to Jesus. They're to be his witnesses in the power of the spirit where they are a little bit further out and then way further out. There was a woman from Jordan. She was from a very wealthy family in Jordan. When she was 18 years old, she was raped by someone in her own family. Her mother swooped in and she hoped for protection and help. Well, her mother swooped in and there's so much shame involved in that. And for the family, the mother decided she would fix the situation by marrying her daughter off to a 75-year-old man. Since this 18-year-old girl who had already experienced great trauma did not want to marry the 75-year-old man, the mother and the 75-year-old man decided they would exploit her and they began to try to make money from other terrible uses of her body. Having been so mistreated by someone in her family and then not the opposite of protection from her mother and all of this trauma led her into a serious deep depression. So she tried to take her life three times. The third time she tried to take her life, thankfully not succeeding again, she was in a hospital and weeping through the night. But a doctor heard her. And so a doctor moved toward her, hearing her tears and responded to her and began to speak to her and to care for her and ask about her. And it just so happens that this doctor was from North Carolina. This doctor was a Christian And he was there on a medical mission trip. And that night he heard her. He cared for her. He listened to her. He spoke to her. And that night he introduced her to the Lord Jesus Christ. She became our sister. Here's how I know. That makes it like a random story. Here's why I know about that story. Just this week, missionaries that you and I support... The Petrus from Athens, Greece were here on Wednesday morning. Some of us got to meet with them from 10 to 11, 15 and just hear their stories and pray for them. And that's one of the stories that we heard from Dina Petru. And she has this thing there in Athens, Greece called the House of Damaris, where they're taking women out of brothels, hundreds of women providing for them, sharing the gospel for them, giving them safe places to live, leading them to put their faith in Jesus and disciple them. And they call it, I love this, the house of Damaris, because in in the book of Acts, 
where Jesus was continuing to do his good work. The apostle Paul goes to Athens and preaches and there's a few people who originally hear Paul's message and believes and one of them is a woman named Damaris. She was the first fruits of believers in Athens. So here's why you need to grasp the importance of this story. Jerusalem was the center of God's kingdom for a flash, for a moment. And then as the gospel went out, every place that people heard about Jesus and called upon him and put their faith in him, those, all those places became new centers, reverberating centers from where the gospel went out. When people believe in Jesus, the spirit comes and indwells in us. And wherever Jesus is believed in, wherever the church pops up because people believe in Jesus, that place becomes a new reverberating center for the power of the gospel. Where is the center of the church now globally? Wherever Jesus is showing up and drawing people to himself. The church doesn't have one center. We have one central king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever he's converting people to believe in him, that place is a new spirit-indwelt, spirit-filled place where the gospel of Jesus Christ reverberates from where we are to places near us, to places a little less near us, to the very edges of the globe. This is what Jesus is still doing. That's the king's agenda, to convert the nations, to rescue the nations by believing in him. And if you believe in Jesus, then you in the spirit are his witnesses. We are his witnesses as well. So second point, the king's provision. How equipped do you feel to tell people about Jesus here and near and not so near and to the edges of the globe? How equipped do you feel? Well, Ken Davis told me this me and a few hundred other people. Um, in the 1980s, Ken Davis said there was a day that he was convicted that he wasn't sharing his faith and he, was, he should. And he was convicted about that. So he prayed and he said, Lord, if you want me to share my faith with someone today, please give me a sign. Now, that's a very immature prayer for all kinds of reasons. Lord, if you want me to share my faith with someone today, please give me a sign. And so Ken was in some city, he was traveling and he got on a bus and a man came and sat next to him in the empty chair. And he said, that can't be a sign because there's two on both sides of the bus. And of course, someone's going to sit next to you. But then the man that sat next to Ken on a bus he'd never ridden, a man he'd never met before, the man sat next to him and began to sob. And Ken thought, okay, Lord, maybe, maybe this is a sign. Lord, really, I really let me know if you want me to share truth about Jesus with this man. And no kidding... The man who was sobbing, sitting next to him on that bus, uttered through his sobs these words, I need God. No kidding. So Ken Davis said, this isn't true, but he said, so next I prayed, Lord, if you want me to share my faith with this man, please turn me into an armadillo, which is not what really happened. God does answer those prayers, doesn't he? Do you feel equipped? to tell people about Jesus? Do you feel equipped to be part of a body that's telling people about Jesus and even sending people among the nations? Where does the power and the wisdom and the effectiveness come from? Well, that's the question that Jesus answers here. Go back with me in verse four. Jesus was staying with the apostles and he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Do not leave, but wait 
for the promise of the Father, which he said, you know, you've heard about me already from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So here's how they're thinking. Wow, we knew you were a great and mighty prophet doing mighty deeds. And then we thought you were the Messiah. And then they crucified you and we thought maybe we were wrong, but then God raised you from the dead on the third day. You're clearly God's Messiah and the savior of the nations. And now you say the last days are about to come. The Spirit's going to be poured out on God's people. This is the end. This is the last days. This is the great hope we're waiting for. So are you now going to, you know, bring your kingdom to consummation in and for Israel? And Jesus, uh, it sounds a little bit like a Heisman uh, standoff, but Jesus says, hey, you don't need to know the calendar. The Father has got the calendar and it's fixed by his own authority. You don't need to know the when You need to know the how. You wait. The Father has promised to pour his spirit out on his people. He's about to do that. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You don't need to know the calendar. You just need to know the how. You wait for power. And so that's what happens He said to them, it's not for you to know these times, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you will be my witnesses. Jesus Christ empowered the apostles in a very unique and special way to establish the church. But in the book of Acts, what happens is the apostles bear faithful witness to Jesus and people believe in Jesus And those church begin sending people as well. And so the reverberating center, it starts in Jerusalem, but then by the end of the book of Acts, there are a lot of reverberating centers of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when people believe in Jesus, the spirit indwells them. And people are given the ability to say faithful, transforming words about Jesus because the power is in Jesus and the truth about him and the power is in the spirit. You don't have to have a seminary degree to be a golf coach and tell little young people who are hurting that there's hope in Jesus' name. We can all do it. How did it happen? (laughs) The pouring out of the Spirit on the church. Think about it with me just, just for a minute. God sent his son who became added to himself real, complete humanity. God had a a vocation for Adam and Eve. They failed. God sent his son. He did not fail. God had a vocation for uh, Abraham and his family, for Israel. Israel failed. God sent his son. He did not fail. Everyone in this room, including me, we've all failed, but Jesus did not fail. And so God's own son came and lived the perfect human life that we all failed to live. The end result of his obedience was that he was obedient even to the point of death. That is taking the curses that we all deserved upon himself. And he was crucified in the place of the wicked. Everyone publicly, especially in Jerusalem, they thought he was being condemned as a blasphemer, but no, no, no. He was being condemned in the place of the wicked. So on the third day, Jesus, God the Father, raised his own son up from the dead, vindicating him as the only obedient one. For the next 40 days, he kept showing up and eating and telling his apostles, 
really helped them understand who he was and what their mission was. And then after saying these words, that Jesus, the same Jesus who lived and died and rose again, ascended to heaven. And when he ascends to heaven, he's at the the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And all of heaven is rejoicing. You did it. Everyone failed, but you did not fail. And now, and the Father says to the Son, you've earned all things. You're the heir of all things. All the nations belong to you. What do you want, Son? And the Son says, I want to I want your will, Father. I want to give. And so the son being vindicated in all of his obedience at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, the son pours out the Holy Spirit on the church. Our king has a really clear agenda and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness and to bear faithful witness to him. The Spirit is poured out on the church because of Jesus' perfection. How great is Jesus' work for you on the cross? How complete, how perfect is Christ's saving work for you? If you believe in Jesus, his work for you is so perfect that if you believe in him, the very Holy Spirit of God comes and lives and indwells you. That's how perfect and complete the work of Jesus is for everyone who believes. And so we're empowered not only to believe and to grow, but to tell people about the Savior. At the end of uh, Acts chapter 2, so that's what happens. They, they go, the, the, there's 120 of them. There's the apostles plus others. Mary's in there. Uh, 120 of them are in Jerusalem and they're in this upper room and they're waiting and the Spirit falls on them. It's the event called Pentecost. It's 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And they're able to talk to all kinds of people in Jerusalem that uh, they're Jews, but they've learned languages because they grew up in other parts of the world. And they're all now talking about Jesus in all these various languages. And people are like, wow, we're hearing powerful testimony in, in languages that we know. And how do you know them? Other people are like, I think these guys are drunk. Peter's like, it's too early in the morning for that. Um, and then Peter preaches a very powerful sermon about Jesus. And here's a big, a big the, the harvest is this. God had a definite plan, but you crucified the Lord Jesus Christ by your wickedness. But now you can repent and receive forgiveness in his name. And here's what's amazing. When, Jesus, when Peter preached that sermon that day on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, the very city where Jesus was crucified, where all of the Jews were saying, yes, crucify that God. Nail him to the cross. We do not believe in him. He can't, he's a false prophet. He's a blasphemer. Put him to death. In that very city where they were clamoring for his crucifixion, when Peter says Jesus is Lord in Christ, 3,000 of those very people put their faith in Jesus that day. That is amazing. Evidence of the power of the risen Jesus. Evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter. Evidence that God answers prayer. Remember what happened? Luke tells us about it. When Jesus was crucified in that, just outside that very city, as they were jeering him and mocking him and saying uh, he deserves to die, crucify him, crucify him. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he do? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so 3,000 people hear 
Peter's sermon about Jesus, they're cut to the heart. And that day, they put their faith in Jesus. And so now you've got a church of 3,120 people, roughly, who believe in Jesus. And so here's the last thing I want you to see, how God's people function. The king's people, their patterns and their practices really quickly This is the 3,000 new believers with the 120 who were there at Pentecost. What's their pattern? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Just there in verse 42. They believed in Jesus, and now they know the apostles speak for him. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know who Jesus was, what he did, and what he said. And the apostles were empowered by the Spirit to tell them, so they devoted themselves. They wanted to hear what God says to his people. A major way that we're going to grow together is by tending to God and his word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I'm pretty sure here, this is koinonia. I'm pretty sure what this word means in this context is they began to share their lives together and they shared what they had together because they had a shared mission together. That's the koinonia that they had. Uh, The fellowship they had wasn't, I mean, Wednesday night suppers are great. By the way, we're having a lot of fun on Wednesday nights and I hope you'll all come. It's been awesome. But koinonia here means something deeper and richer than just eating meals together, but having shared life, shared value, shared purpose, actually sharing what we have together because we have a shared mission. That was part of what they did. And the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here, I do think Luke has in mind their regular worship. The breaking of bread, like we'll do here in a few moments receiving from the Lord and the prayers. Uh, Now, they absolutely met on the first day of the week and broke bread and prayed. But if you want to know what this would have meant in its original context, uh, Jews, and now these are Jews who believe in Jesus, uh, they were really committed to daily prayer. Uh, They stopped and prayed three times a day. They prayed early in the morning. They prayed in the middle of the day. And they prayed at night as well. And they were doing it largely together. And they so they devoted themselves to hearing the word, hearing about Jesus sharing life on mission, regular worship, and talking to God regularly in prayer. These are the normal, ordinary ways the church has grown from its earliest days until now. And so we're committed to these things by the grace of God. And then look with these practices. Here's part of the koinonia. It's in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this verse makes people really nervous. And what happens is some people uh, overemphasize it and some people neglect it. And we don't want to do either. Uh, This verse, Luke knows how to use the word all. He uses the word all in any multiple times this passage. He doesn't say they sold all their possessions. We know later they had homes, they had other things to to sell and share, but what they did was they sold some of their possessions to meet each other's needs. That was rich koinonia. They basically said, oh, you're in Jesus, I'm in Jesus, we're family. You have a need, I'd like to meet that need. That was the koinonia. They were richly sharing in life together. Distributing the proceeds to all, here's what all means there, as as many as any had need. And look at this final pattern, hearts of joy. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, not only 
at the Lord's table, but also feasting and sharing life together in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look, because Luke's gospel is about what Jesus began to do and teach, but Acts is going to be about what Jesus continues to do. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Is Jesus still doing it? Is he still adding people to his church locally, nearby us, and globally, day by day, those who are being saved? Absolutely he is. This is the business that he's in. Jesus is drawing people to himself. He said, when he is exalted and lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Maybe you heard the story of Rachel Gilson. Um, She grew up in California and when she was a, a teenager, she grew up in a family that didn't, was, they weren't religious at all. She had heard about Jesus. And to her, uh, you know, Jesus was someone that you sang songs about during a certain season, Christmas season of the year. You sang about, you know, Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger and Jesus, right? And she just came from a family that was absolutely not religious in any sense. And she was in California and she was a very good student in her public school. And during her teenage years, she realized that all her friends really liked boys and got excited about boys, but she actually liked girls. And so she began to get in relationships with females. And, um, and so then she kind of knew that, that God, you know, that she knew enough about culture that Christians didn't affirm homosexuality. And then she met a few Christians who she thought weren't very smart or thoughtful. So her conclusion before she went to college about Christians are they're mean bigots and they're not very smart. That's kind of how she viewed Christians. That's all she knew. Well, she was a really good student, so she went to Yale University. When she got to Yale University, two things happened that really shook her up. One is her girlfriend dumped her for a boy, and I kid you not, who was currently living in a a van down by a river. So, you know, that's not great. But also, she was like an elite student in her public school in California. She went to Yale, and she's like, I wasn't that smart. I wasn't that elite. And so she built her identity around her lesbian relationship and around being the smartest kid in the room. And now, she lost a lot of both. And she went to a class, and uh, there was a philosophy class, and they were talking about Rene Descartes and his his argument for the existence of God beginning with, I think, therefore I am, and that eventually moving into uh, the existence of God. And she was like, that's a dumb argument. Um, But it tweaked her interest. And for some reason, she just started thinking, you know, there are people that do believe in God. Why do they believe in God? She's a millennial, so she started Googling it. Believe arguments about God. And for some reason, her interest kept being drawn toward Jesus. She can't explain it. Her interest just kept being drawn toward Jesus. And she was really embarrassed about that. She didn't want anyone to know. But there was a girl living on her hall a few doors down from her room. And one day she walked in her friend's dorm room. And on her friend's shelf was a book called Mere Christianity by some guy named C.S. Lewis. That kind of sounded vaguely familiar. I'm not sure who he is. But Mere Christianity, maybe that's a book where I can, I can learn some truth about what Christians believe. And you know what she did? She stole it. Yeah, she stole her friend's book about mere Christianity because she was too embarrassed to tell anyone she was thinking about God and especially Jesus. It felt kind of icky to her, but she began to read it. And as she read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, one of the deep, deep convictions was there really is a God and he really is holy 
and he really is just, and I'm not right with him. And as she read more and heard more about Jesus, she became a believer reading that book, hiding it in her room and hiding it in her library and eventually sneaking it back into her friend's room. Why? Because Luke's gospel is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is about the ongoing gracious work of Jesus Christ. And friends, we're his church. So here's what you and I are living. We're living in the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants your family members and your friends and neighbors to come and believe in him. And it's our privilege to know him and to make him known. We're gathered in his presence. We need his strength. So let's meet him at his table. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by failures like you and me, He took bread, lifted it up, gave thanks for it, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. On the same night, after supper, Jesus lifted a cup from the table saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of your sins. Drink from it, all of you. For as often as You eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, thank you for these gifts of bread and the cup. Jesus, we're your bride and you love us since you cherish us, nourish us today. Strengthen us. We're very weak. We need your strength and your power. Draw near to us through the promised power of the Holy Spirit. Strengthen us today. Nourish us today. Remind us that our sins are washed away, forgiven, and forgotten. Put words in our mouths about your gracious forgiveness that we might tell our families, our friends, and our neighbors. So that more and more people see the glory of our Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus, draw near to us through the Holy Spirit. We draw near to you through faith. Take these ordinary means and use them today for your good purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.